Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Steph Back, who's an actress, and we're also joined by Leanne, who is going to be doing the BSL interpretation today. Hi Steph, how are you? Hi Kieran, I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm really good. It's great to have you on. The first thing I wanted to ask you is what I ask everyone. And it's, how did you first get interested in theatre? Well, when I was growing up, my mum would always like, take us to theatre like, every now and again to see shows, which was always, you know, really lovely. Mm. Um, and I, I went on a few Saturdays, I would go to like this this theatre group, but I was a really, really shy kid. I was yeah. I was really nervous. I was I, I wouldn't I would not be the person to like put the hand up and say something. Um I would say that when I really, really, really got into theatre, like acting and performing, um, it wasn't until I went deaf. Because I, mm. I was born hearing and I became deaf when I was around 15 or 16. Okay. Um, so when I started becoming deaf and I was profoundly deaf by the time I was 18. And um, when I became deaf, I don't know what happened, but like this wild, uh, like fabulous beast emerged <laughs> that was like <laughs> wanting to act. And I, I really mm. kind of got my confidence and my passion for acting and theatre like, when I became deaf. Um, I'm not quite sure why that happened, but just you know, a, a fabulous injection, perhaps. Um, but yeah, and that was when I kind of found the passion for acting and all of that. And um, so were you involved with youth theatres and things like that um, growing up? Yeah, when I was, when I was younger, um, and a hearing child, um, I, I went to kind of, it was a Saturday for half an hour on a Saturday and we would play some games and stuff. But um, when I went deaf, kind of um, stopped that. It wasn't really um, accessible to me. Um, and I didn't know kind of what was out there right. then until I kind of discovered that later on. Um, but yeah, I, I did love going to kind of youth theatre things when I was really young and um, playing all the games and stuff too. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I, I want to ask you, um, where did you go to uni or drama school? Where did you go? 
um, that I went to the University of Reading, um, the course there, which is now shut, unfortunately. Right. It's called, um, it's a really long name, proposal, <laughs> Theatre, Arts, Education, Deaf Studies. Right. Um, so it was an all-round mix of, like, acting, um, theatre and education, um, deaf studies, like deaf history, deaf culture and all of that. So it was a massive mixture. Um, this is now really sad that it's shut down because it was a really great course for for deaf young people and all of that. <laughs> and what what did you learn from that course? How did that develop you as an actor? Um, well, I mean, I learned, I learned a tremendous amount from that course. It was a really amazing opportunity that I had and that I could go on. Um, I think back then, I was, I was 18, I... I was profoundly deaf and I hadn't been deaf for very long. Um, right. So a lot of that time I was also trying to to find myself, to find that deaf identity. To um, I was, you know, in the process of learning sign language, so I had all of that going on at the same time. And But it was also an amazing opportunity because I met so many people that were mm. welcoming and friendly. And my, my tutor was profoundly deaf himself, and an actor called Alain Dweck. He's just a most lovely guy, and he kind of showed me the way, kind of, so to speak, um, you know, in, in the deaf world, and that was lovely. And I don't know, it was learning things that, that how you can put on shows with, you know, someone, someone doing BSL and someone speaking, and how yeah. you can have that kind of access blended together in, like, beautiful, creative ways. And also how we have so many opportunities to go into deaf schools that and work with loads of deaf young people which is really nice to sort of interact with all of these mm, young people and yeah. future talent and kind of work with them teaching and learning all at the same time so lots of things learned I would say uh, and, <laughs> and with my career like both both sides of mm, the table and was it um, a challenge to kind of identify with those elements of deaf culture like the cultural aspect of it for you or did you find that quite easy so for me I think the biggest challenge was was not was not becoming deaf but being deaf in a world that I knew to be hearing right so um all of everything I knew it was a hearing world so to speak and then suddenly I was profoundly deaf and all of my friends they were they were using their lips and stuff when I when I first went deaf it was like all of my friends they were they were speaking I couldn't hear them mm. and it was just really it was a really kind of hard process to to realize this to, to find my my deaf space within a world that I knew to be hearing and I think then when I found like deaf identity and deaf culture and everything it was suddenly and sign language, sign language most importantly, I'd say. And when I found that, and I found people that were that were like me, when I found a, a language that I could, I had no barriers to because it was, you know, it was in your hands, it was visual, I could see it, yeah. and I could, I kind of just absorbed it. I don't know if that's the right word, that totally yeah. sounds like I'm this beast that's like sticking in things <laughs> into my skin, but it was <laughs> probably not the right word. Um, but when I when I found that when I found deaf culture and sign language and all of all of the glorious things within the deaf community, that was what was really 
know, it was amazing. I, I, it was it changed my life completely. Um, yeah, I, I, I bet. Um, I want to ask you, um, how did you first come to hear about taking flight? And how important have they been for you in your career so far? Well, I, I bet found um, Taking Flight because Eddie's the director, was um, trying to find someone to play Juliet for their Romeo and Juliet. Oh, right. And she contacted my, my lecturer, Lan, that I, I spoke about earlier, and she was asking him, Do I, does he know anyone? And he kind of joined us up. And yeah. I think they've, <laughs> they've not been able to get rid of me since then, to be honest. Um, my, my career and my life and everything has been like massively, massively... I don't know the English word, but um, they're just amazing from what Taken Flight have done yeah. for me. They they've fully supported my career. They they support me as a person, as an individual. They they've mentored me in so many things. They've helped me to create my own show. Um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be the woman or the person or where I am today without Taken Flight. I I owe them a massive amount for sure. <laughs> And did you gel with Elise immediately? Did you get on from the very beginning? Oh, oh definitely. I I still remember going into that audition. I was, you know, quite nervous you, as, as, you, as yeah. you are going into any yeah. audition. And I saw her across the room and she just, I, I don't know, she just said, hello, my name is Elise in sign language. And it was just, you know, that feeling of relief. Okay, this is this is a nice safe environment this is a place that's welcoming it's not they're not just you know having interpreters there for access they really really care um yes no we've just got on so well we do like i've worked with her as an actor i work with her as um workshop leaders we she's directing my show like this we've just not really parted since i first met her she's probably like oh get away from me Steph, but i'm not leaving anyway <laughs> Um, and you, you mentioned Romeo and Juliet, which was your first show with Taking Flight. Um, what were the challenges of performing a classical role like Juliet? And the challenges as well of adapting the text, 500-year-old text, into... Uh, BSL. Well, it's certainly a big challenge to, to put mm. it simply. I think what is beautiful about Shakespeare is that he writes it very visually. Mm. He uses kind of lots of images to to tell his stories and to and to create the, his beautiful monologues and all of that. So I think when you look at it and you really try to understand it, looking at it in the images and then the way that sign language works is such a visual language. It kind of, you found that way where you can find where the joint was between the two. Okay. And as well, um, I was, not only was I translating it from the, the, the script to BSL, but I had so much support. There was always interpreters there. We had deaf, um, amazing, amazing deaf BSL consultants who would come in and they would work with us and they would really kind mm. of, we would look at the language, we would look at the time that, the show was set in so for example um we didn't set it back 
in the sixteen hundred. We set it in. Um, I've forgotten that. I think it was 1962. At least what they tell me off for forgetting this. <laughs> yeah, so we, we kind of looked at what sign language was like back then in a time that we wanted to set the show in and like, right. what signs were used, like whether there was lots of finger spelling. And I was really lucky that I wasn't the only deaf actor on that show. There was also another deaf actor called Roger Hudson and he was just an amazing co-worker to work with. He had so many more years of experience than me. And I kind of, I loved drawing from that and learning how I can use what he'd learned within my practice. And one other thing I'll add in, which was, I don't know, it just made the show so special for me in terms of how mm. we made Juliet deaf, was one time just before, you know, the famous balcony scene? Yeah. Um, Elise pulled me to the side just before we did that and she said, you know, Will, Will who plays Romeo, he's going to come in and he's going to have, you know, learn all of his <laughs> monologues, blah, 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 blah. He was, he was hearing and speaking. He said, don't, don't react as if you understand him. React as you would, you know, as, as a profoundly deaf person. <laughs> um, so he came in and he was like, all lips moving, like, blah, 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 blah. And I just said, what? And it just really yeah. kind of, made it so special for me because then he of course had to try and think okay how am i going to take this Shakespeare's bit he didn't know sign language and how am i gonna make this successful and the, the humor yeah. and the, the stuff that came and developed from that is just absolutely gorgeous <laughs> he was of course like whole body trying to kind of mime out this Shakespeare speech but yeah. it was just lovely i remember that scene really clearly and the relationship <laughs> Like the actual physical relationship between you was so interesting to watch. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was just so authentic and mm. true to what it's actually like. It wasn't, you know, something we weren't pretending that Romeo and Juliet could understand mm. each other because, mm. you know, he was speaking and I was doing BSL. Like we weren't pretending anything. We were trying to make it authentic. Mm. And I think that really kind of made it. It was Definitely. one of my favourite, most favourite experiences. <laughs> uh, and with the BSL version of the text, are you taking the text and is it a direct translation? Or is it like an approximation of what is actually written? Like with any kind of translation, it's not, it's never going to be word for word. Mm. It's never going to be like, because BSL, for example, has got a completely different grammar structure and you kind of have to have a look at the script, find out what the meaning is, find out how you can show the meaning, but then also kind of incorporate the images that are used within the script. And it's just this, it's a really kind of complicated but beautiful process where you, where you take these words and you kind of, uh, so I'm not a translator or an interpreter, but because I know English and because I know BSL, yeah. you kind of, you work with both and you see what works and you work with people who are interpreters and are translators and they, both deaf and hearing, and they support you to, to find that way and how it works within, as well, acting, because when you sign, when I'm signing, when I'm, uh, the people on the podcast won't know this, but I'm using my hands right now, um, <laughs> when you sign this obviously it's within like the signing box but as well when you're on stage and you're making it 
it's more theatrical. You make it kind of bigger, same as you would yeah. your voice and projection. And it's just, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating how it all all works together. It's lovely, especially when someone's voicing over you. So, for mm. example, if I've translated a thing into BSL and then someone's voicing over me for the audience's access, it's interesting because sometimes the BSL will be a lot longer or sometimes mm. the speech would be longer or shorter and it's just yeah. trying to find where they and how they meet is really interesting. And it does look visually interesting on stage from an audience's perspective as well. Yeah. I I want to move on um, briefly. Yeah. You are the lead facilitator of Taking Flight Youth Theatre, which started in January. Um, what's it been like for you since it started? And what have been the challenges um, since lockdown started in March? Well, with, with the, the youth theatre, to be honest, it's, you know, it's a dream job. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I know as well how hard Taking Flight worked to be able to, to get this and to have this provision for, you know, deaf and hard of hearing young people all over Wales. And to see it all, you know, happening and it was real and it was amazing. And I and I was, you know, being able to lead something like as, as gorgeous and, and amazing as this, it's, Oh, I just, I love it. I love it so much. You should have seen me when I, I found out that we, we had it. I was jumping up and down like a little child. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just the most beautiful thing. And to see all of these young, deaf and hard of hearing young people and and all of their different personalities and their their sassiness and their um, their acting and their all the, all of all of all of the gloriousness of, of who they are and seeing that yeah. grow and develop and their confidence. And, and all of that is just it's just amazing and I, I can't wait to see you know what you know as, as follow their journeys and what they will um you know achieve and then do in, in their lives it's just it's just gorgeous yeah. I think lockdown was really hard because we had our, our sessions every week and we were meeting and mm. I was seeing all of these young people they were growing and their confidence and, and everything and we were like you know <laughs> learning all of these theater skills and it was just beautiful and then lockdown happened and I was I was I was gutted to be honest I didn't know what that meant I I I was feeling like oh all of these young people would just have this opportunity and now now lockdown what what's happening but we kind of just adapted we we took it all online um I won't lie the first time I knew that I had to do it on zoom I was like I don't know how this is going to work we're not you know in the same room we're not stood around in a circle we're not we don't we're not together in real life but it just worked I think all, all of the young people and all of all everyone involved just wanted it to happen we wanted it to mm. to be able to carry on and, and because everyone had that passion and that want to make it work it just has um so it's so nice because we, we're just carrying on every week we're making resources for them we're we're having weekly sessions and it's just so nice to have that contact through through lockdown whereas yeah we might not have been able to have that, but we do, and it's really nice. And I bet that is so helpful for, like, the mental health of the young people that you're working with 
and, and also your mental health probably as well because it does make a difference seeing the same people every week. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for everyone. That like my mental health really struggled at the start of mm. lockdown, especially, and as as well going out, people had masks on, and you can I can't lip read very well myself anyway, but suddenly there was people out there without any lips at all. Yeah. It was all you know covered up, and it it feels quite isolating. So, and that's for me, and I'm I'm an adult, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm. I'm older, and, but as so I was worried for our young people, you know, that isolated and all over different parts of Wales. I didn't know like um, what was go- what was going on, but to be able to see each other and and have those chats and see how everyone is and and all of that, it's it's so important, so so important. Definitely. Um, what what have been the challenges of leading sessions? online as opposed to leading them um, in, in a room in the WMC in Cardiff? Um, well, I think, especially for our youngest members, the fact that, I mean, who likes sitting down for a long period of time, so it's, it was trying to make it that we could have our drama games, but, you know, stood up and more more interactive even yeah. though it was in front of a screen um i guess as well if you're signing and then you ask them to do something and they're walking around the room how do you get their attention when you're just on yeah. the screen <laughs> it's like loads of different things like that i guess um it's just been about adapting to it and for me myself as well i'm i'm not a technical person um no. i think the first time i tried to set up a zoom meeting for it it took me about an hour to work out which buttons i was pressing <laughs> Um, but like taking flight have supported me with all of that and like to get like a good light to make sure that I was really kind of clearly visible to them because my flat can have dark patches and then light patches all of a sudden yeah. and it's changing. So they've they've really helped to make sure that it's the best as possibly it can be. Oh, amazing. That's really good to hear. Um, yeah. In in twenty eighteen you appeared in the play 2023 by Lisa Parry at Chapter, which looked at the topic of sperm donation in the near future. What was being a part of that project like? Um, how is How important do you think it is that plays with deaf and disabled characters don't always focus on on disability as the main focus of the play? Um, well, that was an amazing play. I've, I've actually got a poster of that play right on the wall in front of me <laughs> as we speak. Um, it, it was actually gorgeous. Uh, the two parts I'll answer within that was, mm. was my experience of it. It was my first ever show that I was going to be speaking and not using BSL. Mm. And so that was a massive thing for me. I, I, people who know me, my, my journey with my voice has been quite an interesting one. I'm sure if Elise is listening right now, she'll be nodding. Because um, obviously when I first went deaf, it was the first, I was I was 18 and I couldn't hear my voice for the first time. And I really struggled with my voice. I, I wouldn't speak or, I, or I'd speak and, and people that, were, nobody could understand me. It, was, it wasn't it was clear. I, 
at my throat felt like it just constricted. I was so right. scared um, about my voice that it just, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> um, and then I just went on this on this journey with, with my voice that I can't, I can't hear. It's like this thing that's not there, even though it is there. And my confidence massively dropped with speaking. I, I would use, I would BSL, I would, I would sign and, or I wouldn't speak without my hearing aids in or anything like that. I, I was, I was so, but then like, say it was Elise who really kind of supported me with my voice and helped me feel confidence and helped me, you know, to, to discover that I, you know, I, I just discover my voice again and who that, what that is to me as a deaf person. And then, so of course I got this job and I was going to be speaking and it was, it was good. It was a massive kind of journey for me in terms of finding that confidence to speak, knowing that I had it within myself, but also to then lip read what my, what my cues were yeah. and like work with the other actors to, to have in like visual cues. So I know like when my, when my bit was, and it was, it was, it was a massive thing for me. And I feel like I, I grew a lot as a person for being able to do that. And as well, yeah, as you say, it, it wasn't focused on my deafness. I was just that the daughter just happened to be deaf, and I think we need so much more of that. I think having a play that's got deaf and disabled people within it, but that's not focused on deaf and disabled yeah. stories, it's just gorgeous, and it just shows that. And kind of obviously, the dream in the future is that you know we'll have deaf and disabled people playing many, many different roles that are mm. not. <laughs> Sorry, messed up. <laughs> it's okay. And not, not, not specific. Yeah. Not roles that are specifically about deafness or disability because that's, as you say, that's not what our entire lives are about, is it? Yeah, that's you've just summed up what I was trying to say. My stutter does come in at times at the most that's unfortunate okay. moments. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And it's just, just showing, like, especially for the future, our young, deaf and disabled, upcoming future stars, you know, what they can do, that it doesn't just have to be stories that are about, you know, all the troubles that they've gone through, all of that. You know, it's just not, it's not that at all. Um, just obviously not hearing non-disabled people shouldn't play deaf and disabled roles at all but the other way around it, it should start to happen we should have deaf and disabled yeah. people playing roles that or, or any roles and um, you know little things like this starting off that that seed to, to grow you know it's it's really important really important definitely and i think it's about the type of stories that are being told as well so often it's like this big tragedy or things like that. And I think in order to counteract that, we need more deaf and disabled writers writing films and writing plays to improve that representation generally. Oh, 100%. And, and you can really kind of tell when, when there's been it's not just, you know, one deaf disabled person with anything. It's you can really tell when there's been more of us like kind of involved in the whole yeah. process of it and our stories are being told by you know, it's it's you can you can really tell and it's really important because it's not just then one person, it's it's 
so many of us all together creating this thing and it's, it's more it's so important so important it's it's vital i think absolutely and you, yeah you've also worked on uh i said i love you by alan saunders um, what did you enjoy in that relationship, uh, in that um, project about exploring the relationship between the three languages of English, BSL and Welsh? So yeah, I, I said I love you is like my baby really it's been something that me Elise and Alan have been working on since 2017 yeah. I think we kind of first had that discussion of okay why do so many deaf and deaf people have barriers to accessing the Welsh language in Wales and that discussion kind of just opened up this massive can of worms okay. and we were like the stuff that we we found from that and we developed when we were like the whole journey of of creating this the show has just been absolutely massive and, and as you say the key the key messages about communication about language about communication breakdowns and all of all of that combined is just something that we're all kind of really passionate about it's obviously a massive thing for me as a deaf person yeah. communication and lots of the stories that I would tell that Alan would then take on board and, and use because Alan, you know, he's an amazing writer and he works with both English and Welsh and then we kind of exposed him to kind of the deaf world <laughs> and the, the way that he kind of absorbed that with with what he does and how he wrote about it was that it just, it's just gorgeous. It's something that we're more massively passionate about and this journey to create the show and to put this on stage to make it tell the story and the messages that we want to tell is... is Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Not I, finished yet, but you know, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing it when when you do get to a point when you're ready to share it. Um, do you think, um, what am I trying to say here? Do you think that the barriers that are there for deaf people in terms of learning Welsh, do you think... There's something that can be done through theatre and the arts in order to break those down. Um, I think, yeah, in one way, that's what we're trying to see if you know can be achieved. I think, I think maybe the biggest barrier at the moment is is people's is some people's attitudes and that that fear of oh it's different or. As well for myself yeah. as a deaf person, I've wanted to learn Welsh, but I've never heard the Welsh language. I, I don't know what all the different mm. pronunciations are like. So there's that, that fear as well. It's the fear of trying, the fear of failing in, in both ways from for deaf people and Welsh and for, for, I don't know, anyone in Wales wanting to learn sign language. There's always yeah. any, anyone wanting to learn any new language or being kind of put in a place where there's a new language that's that's not their own language. It's, there's always going to be fear there. And I think we want to kind of focus on that fear and showing that, you know, making mistakes is, is a good thing. Like if you, yeah. if you try and fail, try again in a different way um, to not worry that if you make a mistake in a language that when you're trying to learn a language, if you make a mistake, then that's a really bad thing. And that's, <laughs> you know, that person's going to hate you forever. It's, um, 
is looking at the beauty in in mistakes, looking mm. at the beauty in communication breakdowns, and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying again until until you get it right. So yeah, yeah. I think the theatre is an amazing place to kind of approach that in a kind of a safe space and to hopefully get the audience thinking about mm. lots of things that they all then kind of um, I don't know what the word is, kind of. Uh, that they kind of go yeah, off spread, and spread, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Spread, spread around. Yeah. And have you noticed similarities between Welsh language culture and deaf culture through doing the project? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. When when I kind of first got the idea, I kind of started researching extensively into kind of deaf history and Welsh history in terms of the cultures and the language particularly mm. is something that I'm is one of my uh, big interest passions with language and culture and all of that and I obviously being a deaf woman and the fact that I studied deaf studies at <laughs> university I knew a lot of deaf history and that the 1880 Milan conference where sign languages were like banned all across the globe that oppression and and what that then meant the consequences of that from then all the way up to now and what the impact that's had upon deaf people and our language and so when i started researching into the welsh language and welsh culture and welsh history and talking to you know welsh people about that and what their experiences are because people's experiences are so important to, as yeah. well as what you find in you know on the web and in books and stuff and the, the language oppression from in with the welsh language so so similar it was like the welsh not and everything and the way people mm. were treated and the way that language was looked down upon for being kind of lesser than this is wrong i don't agree with it but like it was seen as like lesser than the english mm. language and and all of all of the different ways that deaf history and bsl were treated similar it was so similar to the welsh language that you know that was what kind of really inspired the show like okay, they've both gone through such massive histories of oppression and like we've both got such beautiful and amazing, glorious cultures and communities. You know, how can we find this common ground? How can we find a place where a deaf BSL user can communicate with a Welsh speaker without the need for the common language of, of English, without that need for that yeah. language there? <laughs> it was just absolutely fascinating. That, does, that sounds really interesting to me. I'm looking forward to seeing the piece when when it's on eventually, hopefully. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, um, last but one question is, um, what barriers do you think deaf actors still face in the theatre industry in Wales? And what can we do to break those down? It's, um, for me, I think there's two kind of ways that I, I think of this, because I'm, I'm very fortunate enough to work with Taken Flight, who, like, as, as the majority of, of my work with Taken Flight, and the way that they do their work, I don't feel like I have barriers there. Mm. Um, which is, I guess, the goal for everyone eventually, isn't yeah. it? Is, um, to have that. And I, I think it's all about speaking to the deaf people. I feel like a lot of people who are, are new to this kind of area and, and wanting to be accessible might go a 
they you know that can be scared to ask the deaf people or the people that are you know on the receiving end of it what it, it what it's like um i feel like i'm with my words but um it, there, there are so many barriers out there and but i feel like i can see a gradual change happening mm. there are people that want to have change there were there were shows yeah. happening where that from loads of different companies and they've got deaf actors involved and i've been asked by some companies to like go in and have a have a look at what they're doing in the rehearsal process yeah. um you know they're approaching companies like they've approached me for taking flight and all of that and we're like going into the that people are starting to think about access a lot earlier which is nice yeah i think when we went into lockdown it was hard for me because I think there's that big panic at the start of lockdown where people kind of put theatre, they tried to create something and put it online straight away, on straight away, that whole panic and but like hardly any of them had any kind of access within it. There was no captions, there was no BSL. And I found myself scrolling through my phone, seeing stuff that I thought, oh, this is amazing, this is amazing. But then I can't, uh, Yeah. I guess that's more of an audience member kind of thing, but... I don't know, I, I find that people it's, want things to be better, but sometimes people don't know the best ways to go about it. But I do think that we are, we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> sometimes, and this comes from me as, as a hearing person, from my point of view, it feels like stuff like BSL interpretation or captions or things that are tacked on at the end rather than fully integrated within the production. I think we need to get to a stage where it's a part of the creative process, not just an access thing that is put on at the end of a process. That, that's the thing, I, I think you've summed it up. I think there's two ends of the scale, not much in between. There's either the companies that are, you know, fighting for it, they think about it straight away, it's their first thing that they're talking about in terms of access and the creative ways that it will be used. Mm. There's the other end of the scale of last minute, oh God, we need to have at least one show that's accessible. Yeah. Resident up, are they available? Let's plot them on the side. And I, there's, I think there's the two ends of the scale. And I guess to for things to improve, there needs to be more people at the other end of the scale kind of finding where they can start like not necessarily you know it's not possible for some people like straight away but just to wherever they can just to start thinking about it as soon as mm. they start thinking about the show um yeah it's just the dream isn't it is this the um, ideal uh, of what we would like <laughs> and normally this end of the scale that you talked about um where it's kind of the last thought they tend to be the bigger companies. So I think we need more deaf and disabled voices influencing these bigger companies um, and for them to have an access strategy, for them to develop, sorry, for them to develop an access strategy which will encourage more deaf and disabled people to go to the theatre and then to make theatre. hundred percent. I, I don't think you can have enough deaf and disabled people within any kind of areas of the whole mm. 
process of the whole journey for the show, you know, whether they're actors or whether they're directors or writers or producers or, you know, all of the different elements. I don't think you can ever have enough of us <laughs> involved. And, and obviously then the more the more of us there, then there's the more more people who feel like they would be welcomed into the theatre because I know, I know for a fact that if I go to see a show that's got a deaf actor in it, mm. you feel represented. Yeah. You, know, like you, yeah. you feel like you're welcomed, or even if you you know that, um, you know, it's just an inc- inclusive, welcomed, you can feel that kind of atmosphere almost when you go there, I think is the way even that it affects mental health of some people to, to see themselves and their, their, their whole lives or whatever just out there on, on the stages, on the TV or wherever it's seen, it's... It's it, so vital, so vital. It makes you feel a part of something bigger. It makes, yeah, it's such a lovely feeling when you see good, accurate representation, I think. Yeah, and as well from from my perspective as, as youth leader, seeing our young people look up to seeing, you know, deaf, I'm saying specifically deaf at the moment because, you know, I'm deaf and yeah, I'm deaf theater, but, you know, it's anyone who's deaf yeah. disabled or anything, but seeing the reactions when they see even just adults, yeah. <laughs> but seeing adults or yeah. anyone that's like them, it's like, oh my God, because as well for some of them, they wouldn't have seen adults who yeah. are deaf and disabled. And, and I, I know that one of the young people that we had looked up and they saw that, one of our volunteers also had a cochlear implant. Um, and they were like, oh my God, oh my God, you've got a bit, you're the same as me, you're the same, you're the same, the same. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. So even just for that reaction when it's an adult, let alone going to the theatre, seeing this big performance and seeing yeah. these deaf role models on stage, is, you know, it's, it's a massive, 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 mm. vital, glorious thing that we should have more of. Definitely. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, today is what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in the theatre industry? I would say two big things. Um, Because you know me, I like to waffle. (laughs) Um, One one big thing is when you first go in, you feel like all of these people that have achieved, achieved, achieved so much that you, you kind of think, oh my God, they're so amazing, that it kind of makes you feel at the same time that it's not, not human, that's not what I mean. Um, but I mean, to, to be able, like the fear that you can't, that you're, it's not enough, you're not enough, whereas it's just, it's so important to kind of know who you are, know that you are mm. worthy and deserving to be there, knowing that you can talk to them you know, they're a human, I'm a human, <laughs> and it's having that confidence to then start off those conversations, because what I found, you know, they all want you to succeed, they want you yes. to do well, they want to, they want to meet you, and they want to support you, um, but it can just seem so big and scary that you feel like, oh, maybe I'm, I don't, I shouldn't, or it's too big, too scary, too, too yeah. much, but you, you do deserve to be there, you have as much right to be there as anyone else in the room and if you talk to someone and they shut you down then maybe that's not the right person to talk to you find the people that you want to be 
with. And I think the second thing is um, kind of find what you like and then speak to the people within that and find like a mentor. Yeah. Um, I think for, for me, with uh, Elise has massively kind of mentored me throughout my career. And, if, you know, she probably still will be for a very, very long time. Yeah. Cause, you know, when do you stop learning? Um, it's just finding people that, that you want to learn from. Surround yourself with people that that you want to, to learn their, their um, skills. That, that you yeah. Surround yourself with people that you want to learn from, that you want to kind of develop with. And then it kind of once you're surrounded in that bubble, you've got that support. Don't feel like you have to do it alone. Mm. Like just get that support team and then, you know, believe in yourself because you should. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's important that you know that those people believe in you as well as the other way around. That there is that mutual belief as well. I think that's where really strong partnerships form. Oh, 100%, 100%. It's, you know, what, you know I, I always find, because, you know, I'm deaf, I, I always tend to go places with people. Like, I have my backing dancers or being mm. an interpreters, you know, with me. Yeah. I just never feel like I'm alone. And it's not like I need, um, it's not in a... I don't mean that in a way of, you know, I, I'm not independent. I feel 100% independent because I have this community around me. Um, it's just looking at that and finding your your bubble and your yourself through, mm. through that. It's just important. It's, it's lovely. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. It's been lovely talking to you Steph oh thank you for having me it's, it's lovely and uh, you know I only had one stutter when I was expecting about five moments so that's always a positive isn't it yeah. <laughs> so, thank you Leanne as well for interpreting and um, thank you everyone for listening and I will see you on the next episode of In Lockdown Red but for now it's bye for me bye Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.